Dear Heavenly Father, we come, we come, oh, let's turn that down. This one's a little more sensitive. There we go. Um, we better? Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight and we ask now that you take this service and use it to your honor and glory. Give us a little rest and respite from the heat during the service tonight. Help us to study your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Work for at least tonight. And uh, pray with me, if you would, about our study. I, I, I don't want to get lost in just little details here, but uh, what we are trying to do, what I am trying to do, is to just go through these last chapters. We have chapter 14, and then 17, 18, and 19. Uh, and this is, uh, and then the New Jerusalem is 21 and 22. Uh, this is information that is inserted into uh, the book, not necessarily in the chronological order uh, that the rest of the book seems to imply and, and I think is best understood. The golden rule of biblical understanding is when, uh, 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 what is it, when common sense makes sense, seek no other sense. Uh, when you're simply reading and it, and it goes together, don't be looking for the hidden meanings that aren't there. Uh, there was a fellow, how many of you remember the, oh, this was probably 10 or 15 years ago, the Bible Code. Remember that? They talked about Ariel Sharon's assassin and uh, all of the different things that was in there and Clinton's name was in there and and uh, we tried to explain a little bit about that. What they did was they took your Bible, which is roughly a million characters, and arranged it in one text block. Now, you could only do this on a computer. And they kept shifting the dimensions of the block, so many characters by so many characters, you would have... 10,000 characters by 10,000 characters would make a million character block. Well, then they scan it for words. And if nothing comes up, well, then we change it to 999,000. I mean, yeah, 9,999 by 10,001. And we keep moving and manipulating the block until the letters move in and we find something. Now, if God had intended us to understand the Bible that way, you'd be smart enough to do that without a computer. Amen? And since you're not, and I'm not, and I don't think anybody ever will be, what we want to do is just read the words. And uh, we, we're trying to get all of the additional characters that have been introduced to us. In chapter 12, we were introduced to the woman Israel, the child, which is Jesus Christ, the great red dragon, which is the devil. Several weeks ago, we started in the two beasts of Revelation chapter 13, the Antichrist, the first beast, the false prophet, the second beast. Now we get to chapter 14, and we've already touched on this a little bit, and so I want to move, and we may actually depending on our time tonight, get off of our notes, which is something we never really finish, but uh, we'll see what happens here. 
And we start in verse 1, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him an hundred and... Something is moving here. Okay. With him an hundred and forty-four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Now, we have the note here. Go back to chapter 7. And we have the angels holding the four winds of the earth. Nothing is to happen until God marks his special servants in their foreheads. You'll notice a few, and we'll, we will uh, later touch on this. There are things that are very, very similar. The mark of the beast is a mark in the forehead. But God marks his people in the forehead. Now, what is the correlation between there? Well, the devil always imitates what God does. How many false organizations are out there called churches? How many false teachers have shown up over the years and say, I'm teaching the truth? Because if they were honest and got up and said, I'm just teaching a lie, I want you to believe me, believe it or not, there would be some who would follow them. Because there, will be, there are people who believe anything. And if you have any questions about that, just turn on the news. I mean, they expect you to believe that. How many of you knew President Bush was re uh, responsible for sending illegal arms to the Mexican drug lords? How many knew that? President Bush did that. Now, if you believe that, see me after service and I'll sell you the Brooklyn Bridge. Amen. Uh, but, I mean, it is, it is crazy what is being said. And what we want to do is, is try to, as much as is possible, just understand the Word of God. There is one beautiful little gem right in the middle of this, a warning to the believers uh, who will be alive at that time and who uh, one we can take today. But these 144,000 are specially marked of the Lord before all of this really, really bad stuff starts happening there. And someone said, well, I think it's just a representative of all the uh, different people in the earth. But unless God is going to start assigning Gentiles, tribes in the nation of Israel... I think we'd better just leave the Bible, say what it means, that God knows who are from the different tribes in Israel. Interesting enough, when Judge Russell began his uh, group, now known as the Jehovah's Witnesses, he thought that there would never be more than 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses in the whole world. And so he came up with this idea that his organization would become the 144,000. The only problem was 
when the total Jehovah's Witness population exceeded 144,000, all of a sudden the theologians, uh, and we use that term very loosely, uh, uh, they call themselves apostles sitting at the watchtower, had to figure out what they were going to do with all the extra Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, this is one of the reasons why we know that what they teach is not from the Bible. These 144,000, let's go back to Revelation chapter 14. We're going to get some information here. We're told they're from the 12 tribes here, but here is a, uh, a, a description. They have his father's name written in their foreheads. It says, And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. Now, as we read this, we have the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, which... S-I-O-N is the New Testament spelling of the Old Testament, Z-I-O-N. The simplest understanding of that would be the mountain on which the city of Jerusalem is founded. Uh, We're talking about the city of Jerusalem. These were there singing, and then all of a sudden we see them singing before the throne. And so... Immediately, what you and I have to do is we have to realize that John is recording what he is seeing, but he is seeing some things that are beyond our ability to comprehend and understand. Now, I know that's not near as exciting as trying to explain to you all the details and make a bunch of stuff up because that's what most people do when they do prophecy is they make things up. And uh, I don't want to do that. And so I make the statement here in our outline that this cannot be actual chronology because we have this 144,000 singing before the throne, standing on Mount Zion, and yet... We're in Revelation chapter 14. The kingdom on earth doesn't begin until we get after Revelation chapter 19 into Revelation chapter 20. And so Jerusalem, the physical Jerusalem, is given to the Gentiles to tread underfoot 40 and two months. That hasn't expired yet. And so what John is getting... um, is a view of some things that are connected with what's going on and yet still in the future of the actual timeline. But here's what I want you to notice. Here's the important part. What are they doing? 
They're singing praises to God. That is the theme of the book of Revelation. Even in the time of the greatest outpouring of God's judgment, we still will see praise being rendered to God. And this 144,000 are set aside as a special choir and they have a song that only they can sing. And it's interesting here, as this is summed up, it says that they being first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. Now, does anybody remember another place where first fruits are used? Talking about saved individuals? Jesus Christ. In the book of Corinthians, and then we follow after him. This is one of the reasons why we believe there's a separation between the church and what goes on in the book of Revelation. Because Jesus is the first among many brethren, the book of Hebrews talking about the believers in Christ, talking about the church, and yet here we have a special group of Jewish men who are the first fruits to God and to the Lamb. There we got to be talking about two separate groups. Amen? Otherwise, we couldn't have two first fruits. And so God is drawing a separation here, and the reason why I make a big deal about this and making a deal Uh, about this is because there is efforts in theology to lump things together that God separates and to separate things that God lumps together. Now, one of these days, we'll all be assembled in heaven, praising and worshiping God. You know who's going to be there? Abraham, Adam, Abel, Enoch, the Apostle Paul, and the tribulation saints. But guess what? Hadn't happened yet. Remember one preacher talking about, and there's many ways to explain it. Uh, he explained it. Uh, he says, well, I, I believe like Dr. Dow, he was one of the professors at the Bible college I went to, uh, and, and a great man. And he said, I believe in the church in prospect meaning the assembly of all believers from the church age in one place at one time. And if you've ever heard me talk about that, I talk about still a local church because they're still all together in one place praising God. And when the Bible talks about the church in an institutional sense, that's what it's talking about. You see, God can see that group assembled. You and I can't. So we be faithful to what we can see and what we can be faithful to, which is our local assembly. We are not going to be like those that say, well, you know, the church really hasn't done its job, so we'll start a new organization that will help the church out. Church doesn't need help. I've had people over the years, how's how's your, uh, it depends on what they're looking for, 
your teen group or your single group or how many people of this ethnic group do you have in your church? And uh, I always tell them, listen, our diversity is what the world has been looking for. We have it. Uh, I don't think you can get much more diverse than what we have right here. Anybody say amen to that? The problem is, if we had half of the, we'll just pick on singles for a moment. If we had half of the singles that had called on the phone looking for other singles, we couldn't put them all in the auditorium. But you see, if what you're looking for is a potential mate, this is the wrong place. You come here to serve Christ and let him take care of the other part. Amen? If you need friends, you come here to serve Christ because he's the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And God will take care of some other friends and you'll find out there's some wonderful people that walk through these doors and sit in this auditorium but you know the best way to make a friend is be around. Amen. These 144,000 are together. They're a group. They're set aside for special praise to God. That's what the book of Revelation is about. That is the theme. And so the Lamb, of course, is Jesus Christ. These 144,000 are singing a special song of praise. They are the only ones who can learn and can sing this song. Now we get to verse 6, and something is really going to get strange here. This is 144,000 and the Lamb. They're part of this group. Now we have angels doing some very interesting things. Look at verse 6. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Now, let me ask you a question. It says he saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven. Do you think the... Go back to Revelation chapter 3 and the angel of the church at Sardis. Do you think the angel of the church at Sardis could fly in the midst of heaven? No. Could the angel of the church of Philadelphia fly? No, we believe that they were real men, pastors of the churches. But here we have an angel flying and preaching. Somebody said, oh, my pastor's absolutely angelic. He's always up in the air harping about something, right? That's not what it's talking about here. This would seem, unless God is going to give special powers to preachers during the tribulation to fly, uh, which I don't think so, uh, this is talking about an angelic being preaching the everlasting gospel. Now, let me ask you a question. 
Do we see that happening in the New Testament anywhere else but here? Uh, do we see that happening in the Bible anywhere? Now, we have angels showing up at different places, teaching different things, and on several occasions, that angel was actually the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But here we have a bona fide angel, not human, angelic, a spiritual being, preaching the gospel, according to this verse, to all the inhabitants of the earth. Again, I ask a question, if the church were here, then why does this happen? It's one of the reasons why we don't believe the church is here during the tribulation period. And yet, his message is to fear God, give glory to him. The hour of his judgment is come and worship him. You know, we have people that are willing to worship just about anything. They worship Wall Street. They worship the gambling casinos. They worship all the pleasures in the, in the nightclubs. You know, we read these stories, and I've challenged you many times, don't study the history of the worship of the ancient gods. It's really, really evil stuff. But if you want to see a reflection of that evil practice, just turn on your television set or go to a nightclub, and the same vile activities that they carried out in the ancient temples in worship to the devil, they do in worship of the same God, of their own pleasure and hedonism in the clubs. And what they can't do and not get thrown in jail for, you can't have human sacrifice and all those kinds of things. They just make it up on television or make their own videos of it and pretend that they do it. I mean, it's really scary stuff. Don't worry about what is going on in the world. Worship him that made it. This message applies from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22. It is the message of the Bible. How do we worship God? O B E D I E N C E. Anybody remember that song? We got to get that for Sunday school, Brother Franz. Obedience is the very best way. Now, I did that in four keys. That's hard to do. I, I rarely try to sing from the pulpit. It's bad. I do well in big groups. But obedience is the key to worship. Don't worry about all of these big things that you can't do or the things that you hope you will do someday. Obey today. That's how you worship the Lord. Could we say amen to that? Just obey today. That's what this angel is going to be 
proclaiming. And another angel in verse 8, so we're looking at these angels in verses 6 and 7 is the first angel. In verse 8 is, is another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, the great city, because she made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now, I want to depart from my notes for a minute, and we're going to come back and, and touch on this again, I'm sure, before it's all done. But don't get confused. There is a mystery Babylon, and then there's Babylon the Great. Two different places. Two different outcomes. Mystery Babylon, Revelation chapter 7, is the Bible term for that is the great whore that rides the beast. And that city will be destroyed by the ten kings that are confederate with the first beast or the Antichrist. Yet when Babylon the Great is destroyed, what happens? Those same people who are responsible for the destruction, the Bible says they're going to burn her with fire and eat her flesh. I mean, they're going to totally destroy her. They're going to be weeping and wailing when Babylon the Great is destroyed. So therefore, they must be two different places. And this Babylon here is Babylon the Great. This is the city that will rule the world. Just as we have two beasts, one rules the world politically, the other religiously, so we'll have two cities. The religious city will be destroyed because they won't need it anymore. If you're going to worship the beast and his image, you won't need anything else. All you'll need is the beast and his image. And so that Babylon will be destroyed, but God is going to destroy Babylon the Great. And the angel is coming along and saying and announcing the destruction of Babylon. And then the third angel comes and gives a challenge. And the third angel followed them, verse 9, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive the, his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone. Now get this next one. In the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. How many of you always thought of hell as a far-off place that everything in heaven would be far removed from and we'd never see or hear or understand anything about it? That's not what the Bible teaches. It says, in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. God's judgment is going to be contrasted with his worship and his praise. It's scary stuff, my friend. You will have a choice. You will surrender to God and gain his forgiveness in this life. 
or you will forever be a testimony to your own rebellion and your own refusal to accept God's grace. That's what these verses are talking about. And this angel is warning. Now, normally, if you are given a warning, it means that there is opportunity to change your behavior. Isn't that correct? I always hate it in certain states. I'm trying to remember which one. I'll try not to say it. Is they have the signs right at the place where you turn. See, in New York, if there's a sign, it says exit half mile, 400 feet, 1,000 feet. They tell you where the exit is. Uh, I remember driving one place and it said such and such a road here. Well, you had to turn before the sign in order to make the exit. And... uh I missed it. I'm used to the warning coming before, so you have an opportunity to alter behavior. Otherwise, why would the angel be proclaiming not to take the mark of the beast if you didn't have opportunity to change your behavior before? And it does appear that this angel, just as the first angel that these three angels' messages are directed to the inhabitants of the earth, and yet they are hearing the message uh, of the angel in heaven. And here's what happens. If you take the mark of the beast, receive his mark, it says you're going to drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Now, we're going to get to that in a minute. But it is poured out without mixture. Now... We've been over this before in the Bible when we went through the series on wine and alcoholic beverage and what is in your Bible. And sometimes you'll see this phrase, strong drink. And oftentimes, most modern commentators say, strong drink, see there. That's talking about Jack Daniels and hard liquor and all. Well, I'm sorry, the distillation of spirit process is a rather modern invention. Uh, If you wanted to get schnockered in the old days, a thousand years ago, uh, it had to be quantity, not quality. All right? I mean, it could be good stuff, but you're still only talking about 2 or 3% alcohol content. Uh, And so you're talking about a major quantity of alcoholic beverage. And people always had this thing of diluting the beverage. Now, how many of you remember those little frozen concentrates of orange juice? How many of you have read the instructions on there? If you want to make real orange juice, you only add like one or one and a half can of water. But if you would like to make orange drink, you can add three and a half cans and our little cup will make two full quarts of a beautiful orange drink. Has anybody read the instructions? I always wondered why, as I got older, that stuff that we had at home that they called orange juice wasn't orange juice. It was orange drink. Well, 
They did the same thing in the Old Testament. It makes it last longer. Well, God says there will be no mixture. It's going to be straight up. It's going to be strong drink. It is going to destroy the inhabitants of the earth. It will take you an eternity to ingest the wrath of God. That's why hell is forever, my friend. It's not pretend. It's not just a moment. It's not annihilation. It says, the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. They have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Now, verse 12, here's that little gem I told you about. Here is the patience of the saints. Now, how many of you remember that from chapter 13? It says, the patience of the saints is not to fight the Antichrist and the false prophet in chapter 13. It is to serve Christ. Here, the patience of the saints is simply you endure suffering until the events of the book of Revelation have played out, which is roughly uh, accepting the millennial reign of Christ, which is a good time. The bad time is about seven years. Now, if you had the choice between seven years and eternity, which one would you take? Here's the patience of the saints. How many times down through history have people given in to the devil? How many times have you in your own personal life the temptation and the pressure builds and, and you say, I can't take it anymore. I'm just going to sin. Here's the patience of the saints. You take that mark And by the way, can you lose your salvation? Not in the Bible. Now, there are some people who teach that you can lose your salvation during the tribulation period, that your salvation is earned and kept by works. And we'll touch on that in the next verse. That is absolutely untrue. No one has ever earned their salvation and no one has ever kept their salvation. It has always been a gift of the love of God and of his righteousness. And it's always been kept by his love and his righteousness. Amen. And so the patience of the saints is you don't have that long to endure. Now, guess what? Jesus may not come back for another hundred years. You will have to endure your physical life. But could we not take a warning? And we should. Here's the patience of the saints. The suffering that we have in this lifetime is very short compared to eternity. Hold on to the word of God, my friend. Actually, Paul put it this way. He said, I press toward the mark. He said, I'm trying to apprehend that which I'm already apprehended of. He says, I'm trying to grab a hold. I'm trying to live the things of the Bible, trying to live the life that the Savior would have me to live. But I understand something. He's already got a hold of me and he's not letting go. Amen. And that's what the next verse here is about. 
It says here, I'm sorry, verse 13, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead, which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. Now again, we want to keep this in the context. John is talking about those that uh, will be saved. The word saint in your Bible simply means someone who believes in Jesus Christ. Did the Old Testament saints understand everything that you and I do in the New Testament age? No. Were they just as saved? Yeah. Will the tribulation saints understand and live everything just the way we do? No. But will they be just as saved? Yes. In fact, if you're a student of history, you go back to the Middle Ages, what we call church today was very different. It was very difficult for one man to stand up as I do and say, I'm the pastor of Open Door Bible Baptist Church because you had the Catholic bloodhounds going around and killing them all. And so a church might have three or four different pastors. And depending on which one was free and could preach without putting his life in jeopardy was who the pastor was that day. That'd be a different world than what we understand today. Don't go back into history and try to rewrite it according to our understanding. And please don't go into the future and try to do the same thing because we have no idea what is going to be going on then. And yet, here's the application. When you die in Christ, no one takes away what you've accomplished in your service for him. Amen? You cannot lose your service for Christ. That is a blessing. Amen? See, keep serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we come up to a very strange passage here, and we'll try to cover this in the next five or so minutes. It says, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat, like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud voice to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe." And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse's bridles, horse bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Now we have this one as John is looking. 
He's just heard three angels report. One, preaching the everlasting gospel to the people on the earth. Number two, reporting the destruction of Babylon the Great, the economic and political center of the world at that time. And the third, giving a warning not to take the mark of the beast, not to worship his image because your damnation will be eternal and a promise to those that believe in Jesus that they will not lose their labor in serving the Lord. And it's a short time. Wait on God. Don't give up. Now he sees one that looks like Jesus sitting on a cloud. Now let me ask you a question. If it looks like Jesus, is there anybody else like Jesus? No. So this is the Lord Jesus sitting on the cloud. He is waiting. He is going to gather, the, the Bible says, the vine of the earth. Now, we could take the whole night and chase out this vine. I, I don't think we want to do that. But it is the root of evil and its fruit. All of history. Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees? He said, all the blood of every martyr from Abel until Zacharias is going to be required of this generation. Well, guess what's going to be required of the generation who is alive on earth at this point? All of the evil of all mankind in all of history. God is going to require it all. He is going to finish his wrath. He is going to gather the vine of the earth. It is going to be put into the wine press. The Bible says that that wine press is going to be trodden outside the city of Jerusalem. And most of our uh, people who believe the Bible believe that this is talking about the battle of Armageddon. It says the blood is going to flow out of that wine press to the horses, to the horse bridles. Now, if you're next time you're in Central Park and you walk past those horses, just look where the bridle of the horse, that's the part that goes over its head. I mean, you're, you're about looking at it. It's about five foot tall. How many of you know how long a furlong is? Believe it or not, I found five or six different references for a furlong. But it works out to somewhere between... 182 point something miles to 200 miles. Now that is a river of blood five feet deep. And for sake of simplicity, we'll say 200 miles long. That would flow from the city of Jerusalem all the way up through the valley of Megiddo, which is Armageddon and beyond. Yet, how many of you remember what happened when one of the vials was poured out? The seven last vials? Every water source on earth. The ocean was turned to blood with one of them, and every uh, river was turned to blood. All of these things are going to happen. And this is God's wrath poured out upon mankind. Who is 
sitting on the cloud? Well, Jesus is. Who is treading the winepress? Jesus is. An interesting thought, and I'm not going to be dogmatic, yet we have these angels coming out, and we have Jesus pictured as an angel at several different places in the book of Revelation. This is something I believe is all of God. His wrath is collected, the wine press is trodden, and the results of that are poured out upon the kingdom of the beast. You see, what is mankind scrambling to do? We dodged a bullet, didn't we? Greece stayed in the euro. Why is that so important? Well, it's because our greatest economic minds don't know what to do if Greece had decided to get out of the euro. Now everybody's worried about Spain. And as soon as they solve the problem in Spain, guess what? There's going to be another one. Mankind has always tried to solve his own problems. And I want to tell you, when Antichrist, the beast, shows up, mankind is going to believe they've done it. It won't be just one little group. It'll be the majority of people on the face of the earth. Until Jesus starts treading the winepress outside the gates of Jerusalem. And everyone is going to know that they have failed. You see, it's all about Jesus. Amen? This is why we worship him. This is why we reverence him. This is why he is our everything. Because it's all about Jesus. It's not about the devil. It's not about all the people that are going to die. It's not about any of those things. It's about God's judgment. It's about God's praise. And here in Revelation chapter 14... It says those two things are going to be in the presence of each other. A contrast. The testimony of those that rebelled versus the praise of those that have been redeemed. What we need to do? Prepare to worship Him. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, just ask that you would help uh, as we study this to keep the continuity that is here and our understanding, and Lord, most of all, that you would use these wonderful little uh, gems, little spots that in, in the word of God that just draw our attention to the true worship of the only God. Help us to love you and to serve you in these last days. In Jesus' name we pray. Before we finish that prayer, we'll just have the piano play. And if you need to slip out.